Dale would be preaching our very, very last sermon on Isaiah this morning, and he was prepared, but his family's unwell. And so what I would like to do is bring to you uh, a message from Ezekiel. I've been reading personally Ezekiel just in my own devotions, and I was struck again by this passage in, in Ezekiel 37. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to look at it together. Dear Lord, we do pray uh, because uh, we would love your rain to fall on our hearts and your light to shine in the darkest areas of our lives. Uh, We do pray, Lord, because uh, we want your word to have its cutting effect uh, like a sword and also, Lord, its washing effect like water. So, Lord, please, I'm asking... Uh, with my brothers and sisters, uh, would you refresh us and renew us again uh, through this word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this account in Ezekiel 37 is actually a vision of a prophet Uh, His name is Ezekiel. He's got his own book in the Bible. And it it records a vision that he received from God. One of the most famous, probably the most famous chapter in in all of Ezekiel is is this vision that he had. I I actually love the way it starts. It says, uh, the hand of the Lord was on me. And I, when I read that, I just wonder. What would that be like if you were Ezekiel and you were able to say, one day the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. So the hand of the Lord was on him and he brought me out by, by the Spirit. So I don't even know what this is or this means. Your guess is as good as mine. But think of it. The hand of the Lord is on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. And it was full of dry bones. That's the vision. Ezekiel... Now in this spirit is on him, pulling him out, and he's in this valley full of of dry bones. Not only that, but it says that he, the Lord, by his spirit, led me to and fro among them. So he's going around backwards and forwards in this valley amongst the bones and seeing many, many bones. It's full of dry bones And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And when you see a bone that's very dry, you know it's dead a long, long time. It's long dead. And then a question comes. And the question's actually, normally we've got questions of God. But in this case, God's got a question for Ezekiel. And this is the question. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? 
That's the question that's posed to Ezekiel here in this valley full of dry bones. And Ezekiel answers with this answer, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Without any more comment from God, it says, then, then he said to me, so Ezekiel saying, I'll tell you what he said to me at that moment. He said to me, prophesy, Ezekiel, to these bones. Prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you. And you will come to life. I will attach tendon to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. The most crazy thing that you could ever say to bones. God commands Ezekiel to speak. And he says, dry bones, hear I want you to hear, listen up, dry bones. I'm going to make breath enter you and you will come to life. I'm going to attach tendons and whatnot. And so Ezekiel's obedient. He just does what God says. So now Ezekiel's part of this thing. He's not just watching on anymore. And now he, in obedience to God, commands the bow. He prophesies. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. As I was prophesying, he began to speak. And I reckon he was shocked that as he began to speak, he heard the effect of his own words. There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone, all over the valley, all over the valley, these bright, dry bones coming together. And then Ezekiel says, and I looked, it's like he's looking, he's prophesying, and he's just looking. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, and there was, there was no breath in them. So these bodies come together, bone to bone and tendons and flesh, and they're all lying, all lying out in the valley, but no breath. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. That the prophecy of Ezekiel just speaking at the command of God and then then in this vision, this bones and these slain Breath come, the four from the four winds, and I think when it says from the four winds, for all the force, all the force that you can muster from the four winds, breathe into these that are slain, that they may live. 
and it stood up. They stood up a vast army. Now envisage in your mind a vast army in this valley. What is this? What's this vision? How is it relevant to us? Why is it in God's word? One thing you you can notice from this vision right from the start. Do you know our world is decaying? It's going downhill. Our, Our bodies are getting older. Entropy is active. Things, but but here, that which was dead and decaying and becoming dissembled, God is renewing and assembling and breathing life into. And that's the God. That's the God. That's the God. I hope that's the God that your hearts trust and worship. That God. The way that we can understand this text of scripture is principally from its own interpretation because you've got to know that Ezekiel lived in a time where he himself, though he was a prophet, he had gone with the exiles into Babylon. He was in captivity over here in Babylon and in captivity in Babylon. So he's he's in Babylon as one of the captives, Ezekiel himself, the prophet, not free. And, and, and Jerusalem's over here, and, and these history is still unfolding for the people that were left behind in Jerusalem. And now Ezekiel is, is prophesying into a situation where there is no hope. <laughs> all the, it seems like all the covenant promises that God had given to the people of Israel had been totally cut off. They're not going to be fulfilled. Everything is hopeless. Everything, it seems, God would, it seems that this is the end of the road. Nothing's going to happen from here because we've rebelled against the covenant and all our hopes, our great hopes for the people that we would be in God, the, the, the freedom that we'd have, the land that we'd have, the joy that we had, it, it seems all cut off and everything is hopeless. And so Ezekiel is prophesying into a place of great hopelessness and helplessness. Now, you know what it is to be in a place of hopelessness. When hope is all gone, when hope is totally gone and you just think there's no hope anymore. I used to have hope, but it's all been drained out of me. My, my bones are very, very dry. There's no hope anymore. Every hope is dead. But God says in verse 11 to Ezekiel, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off and therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord 
when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I'll settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I've done it, declares the Lord. And what God is saying to this helpless, hopeless people where everything is broken and there's no hope at all, he says, Ezekiel, prophesy. I'm going to turn that which is dead, where all your hope is gone, I'm going to give you hope. And if you know your history, that's exactly what does happen. God does bring this against every other prediction and every other potentiality. God takes the people of Israel that are scattered all over the place in captivity and dead. Their hope is gone. And him, by his word, he brings them back and they come back. You can go and visit that place today if you want to. It's there. People are there. He brought them back. Depending on the way you understand the Bible, you've got different views. And some of you will have very strong views on how you understand it. But if I understand the Bible correctly, there is significance also to the fact that, first of all, this army was made again and was collected again. But then second of all, breath was given, life was given to them. And it seems to me that what God is saying, yes, I'm going to make Israel my people again, but there will come a time in the future, if I understand Romans 11 correctly, when I'm going to give them life. Ethnic Israel. I will breathe life into them. They will receive the Saviour and the Holy Spirit will come to them and they will know him and they will come and they will worship the Messiah one day. That's the first thing. But the other thing is, I want to say that there's actually not very many references in the Old Testament to resurrection when there is resurrection. This is one of the few. One of the few passages in the Old Testament that talks about rising from the dead. Hmm. When Jesus comes... He brings about the truth and the power of this word beyond anything Ezekiel had ever imagined. When God comes in Christ, God comes in Jesus and Jesus dies but is not the central thing and the most glorious day of our celebration in the year is when he rises and breaks the power of death over sin and hell. Is that not the, the, the glory of the Christian message? Is that God is bringing life. It's like this is what God is doing in Christ, that the whole world is dead. That's what it says in Ephesians. It says you were dead in your transgressions and sin. The whole world, totally dead, like dry bones, no life. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. God's great purpose is looking, he looks at a graveyard. 
across the world. And he sees just this graveyard and he says, I am going to speak. I'm going to speak and there's going to be life coming. I'm going to contradict everything that, it, that, 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 that represents the dissolution of life. And I'm going to speak. And when Jesus comes, he comes as the word of God. Do you remember John chapter 1? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it's talking about Christ. He himself is ultimately the one that speaks and brings life. He's bringing life. When Jesus came, the Pharisees were against him and, you know, all these conflicts with with the Pharisees. And he says to them in John chapter 5, he says, just as my father raises the dead and gives them life, even the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted the judgment to the son and that all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. And he says, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Truly, truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Will live. <laughs> Look, this is what God is doing in Christ. We, we, are, we are dead. That the whole world is dead, but he's God is, looks at that and says, no, I am going to contradict that. And in Christ he comes, the the, the author of life. Yes, he dies for our sins, but he rises again in tremendous power and now he is breathing life. Look, if you are hopeless, if you think that I'm so broken, all my hope is gone, here is a message for you, a message of such strength, such beauty, such magnificence that our hope and our should rise afresh in God and God alone. Five lessons that we can learn from this passage. One is our helplessness. Why do I say that? I say that because the bones were in the valley and they were dead. And the bones have got no capacity in and on themselves to stand up and make themselves an army. They haven't. They are helpless. They are totally hopeless. And the Bible portrays us as human beings as helpless. When you think to yourself, I can make myself a better person, I can do this and I can do that, you are crazy. You've got to admit that you're a bone. And you've got to have The word of God spoken to you. That's the first thing, our helplessness. The second thing is the sovereignty of God. Again and again in this passage, it says, Sovereign Lord. What does it mean to be Sovereign Lord? 
If you are a sovereign and suddenly someone makes you the king of a nation and you're sitting on the throne, you don't ask any permission for anything. You make your own decisions. And here, when God is the sovereign Lord of the universe, he declares what is so. He is the sovereign Lord. And if dry bones are on the ground, he and he alone has got the power to so speak that they would come alive. He's the sovereign Lord. Are you hopeless? Are you at the end of yourself? Do fears grip you? Do you feel like it's the end for you? And all God's covenants and promises that I thought he was going to bring to me, they all seem in mess and a trash. I thought God was going to do this or that or the other for me. They, they feel like they're all gone. Look, this is the sovereign Lord. And when all hope is gone, then's when God steps in. And he is the one that can bring life to dry bones. The third thing is the power of the word. So, God says to Ezekiel, very important this, God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel's no longer an onlooker at this point. He's not just looking on and saying, "Oh, oh wow, look at all this vision. All of a sudden, he is drawn in and now... At the command of God, he is prophesying. And all of a sudden, it is his prophesying, his speaking, that is bringing to pass that which God intended. He's bringing life. And do you see the power of the word? So in, why do you think that Jesus asks us to preach the gospel? To go and make disciples preaching the gospel. It's because in Romans 1 it says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for anyone that can believe. You might think, oh, this person is really powerful and this president of what country is really powerful and that uh, electricity plant has got a lot of power. I tell you, they're nothing compared to the power of God's word to change a heart and a life. And, and, And so... I just want to speak, there's some here people probably that are not yet believers. But there's some here that are believers. You've trusted in Christ. And I want to say something to you. I think that there's some of you believers that have no idea of the power of the word that's in your mouth for Christ. Ezekiel speaks this word at the command of God and as he speaks he is shocked at what is happening life is coming just life is coming and I just, don't, I just want you to know that it's nothing to do with you you might say look I'm so weak and so hopeless and God would never use me don't say that because you've got a treasure in the jars of clay and your word of the gospel has its own unique power to raise the dead, in that sense, to bring life. So please don't just know that the power of the word is strong. I have mentioned this before, but I'll just say it again. When I was in Indonesia and I was talking to Carol Nix, who's one of the cross-cultural workers there, it's David and Carol, and Carol, just across their kitchen table, Carol said to me, 
in Indonesia, in a Muslim country. She said, we had heard, I had heard, she said, Isaiah 55, that just like the rain and the snow come from the heavens and water the earth and, and, and accomplish something, so God's word will never return empty. And she said, I've seen that. We, I'd heard it, but now we're seeing it. We're opening the Bible and the Bible itself is bringing life to people that were dead before. And so I want you to know that in this word, it's not all about you and it's not all about me. It's about the word itself. There is power for life. Number four, where the spirit is, there is life. The spirit comes, you know. The, the, the army was lying on the floor of the valley. Yes, it was together, but there's no life. There, there was no life. The, it's only when God's spirit is present can God's people live. True. It's only when God's spirit is present can God's people live. Oh, how we need the breath of the Spirit in us. The, the work of God's Spirit that we would live. We don't want to be a corpse. And even for us to be revived, um, for your heart to be passionate about Jesus, if you think, oh, I wish, oh, I, I just feel my heart so cold to Christ and to God. Do you know what you need? Need the Holy Spirit. The grace of God and the Spirit breathing. Let me read to you Romans 8. You, however, not the whole Romans 8. It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. This is for believers. Listen, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if the spirit of Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, yes it is, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit, this is kind of, I want to say unbelievable because it is so big. But And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit that lives in you. Listen. If the spirit of Christ, it, it says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So now there is a spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And if he is living in you, he will also give life to your mortal bodies. You are living. You are living with, a, with an undiable life because of Christ, the Spirit, dwelling in you, dwelling in me. Lastly, number five, I want to say something about the Word and the Spirit. I've said something about the word, the power of the word, something about the spirit. I just want to say fifthly something about both of those things together. 
sure how to say this, but you can have word churches on the one hand, very strong on the word, know a lot in their heads, and word, 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 word. And you can have spirit churches that are Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you think they're just about to go up and smoke so much Holy Spirit. (laughs) But this is Word and Spirit together. In the Scriptures, it's always Word and Spirit together. Oh, how we need the Word. We need the Word. But we need the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. Without his life, we're dead. We're just corpses. And we need his spirit, his whole, the Holy Spirit, to work in us. Word and spirit together. Jesus is raising an army. They stood up on their feet, a vast army. And that's what God is doing in Christ. He's raising an army. You may not quite see it yet. I don't see it as what I would like to. But I'll tell you this. I'll tell you something that's true. I would not be a pastor. I would not be a preacher if I did not believe that God in his sovereign, powerful way through word and spirit could accomplish great things beyond what I yet see, beyond what you yet see. He's a glorious king. Bringing to pass what we cannot see. We just think, oh no, it's always going to be like this. Dry bones, nothing can change. Let's just sort of trudge through it. Not God. He has got a higher vision. And through word and spirit, he can bring life and change. So as we close, can I say this to you personally? Um, It's easy to get in our hearts a kind of resolution that is hopeless. This is the way it is. It's all the way, the way it's always going to be and nothing can change. The God of the universe contradicts all materialistic views of the world. The God that we serve is breaking that and saying, I can do whatever I like. And my joy is to bring life where there's death. I want you to know that for your own life. Look, your body and my body are wasting away. But there's a God of glory that even though our body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit is living in us because of righteousness and giving us life. And that's our tremendous hope. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to humble myself before you and with my brothers and sisters, humble ourselves before you and say, God, you are God. You're magnificent in all your ways. You are the life-giving God. And so we're coming to you for life. And in Christ, uh, our precious word the one that was slain for us and risen for us. You've given to us what we could could have never imagined for ourselves. Lord, thank you. I want to know that you are God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.